Landon, can you help me? How many of you don't have a key? Some of you weren't in here this morning. If you don't have a key, raise your hand. You're going to become possessors of a key tonight. All right? The rest of you, did you do what I asked you to do? You got your key? There's a young preacher that went to his first church, and as it often is, the bottom fell out, and the first week he was there, he buried three elders, and there were two or three others that were in bed sick, and so he came to preach that weekend, and uh, he thought, well, it'll get better next week. If you need a key, keep your hand up. The next week, three more elders passed away, and there were five people in the hospital. He didn't have time to study or do anything. And so the next Sunday, he just preached the same message again. He said, maybe next week it'll get better. So the next week, it got worse. There were a few others passed away. By this time, this is the third Sunday, and he's preached the same thing all three Sundays. Well, the elders got together, and they went to the bishop of the organization, and they complained. They said, he's been here three weekends, and he's preached the same message all three weekends. And so the wise bishop looked at those men, and he said, well, tell me what did he preach about? They started scratching the head, him and hawing and ducking their head. He said, I mean, just tell me one point. What was his scripture? Um, 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 he said, I think we ought to let him preach it one more time. And so tonight, we're going to go back, try to finish what we got started this morning. I'm going to tell you what, I am excited about what God's about to do in our church. We have come through a great season of revival, and it certainly has done nothing but whet my appetite for more of God and His blessings. God's shown us a little bit about what he can do when we open our hearts to him. And I am believing that over the next few weeks that God is going to empower us to open some doors in our life and close some doors that will forever change our spiritual destiny. If you have your Bibles for just a few moments tonight, somebody... Wanted to know who the timekeeper was. There's no timekeeper, but I am conscious of clocks, and I do know that your mind can only absorb as much as your backside will allow. All right? Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to give for any of you that forget your key. This little ring is what we took off of those keys. And Brother Landon said, we ought to pass out these. They can... I said, yes, we ought to, because if they forget their key, we're going to put it in their nose and let the devil and their problem keep dragging them around by it. So if you don't want a nose ring, you better not lose your keys. You think I'm kidding. I have a whole sack full of these. I have as many of these as I do keys, and I'm not going to use any of them because you're not going to forget Amen. Isaiah chapter 22, verse number 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Interesting point. I did not make it. I didn't have time. But Jewish scholars say that the key upon the shoulder meant that he bore anything that was connected to their past. One of those keys that was on his shoulder was the key to the door that locked that so it would not follow them into the future. Isn't it great to know that God knows how to dispose of some things in our life so we don't have to keep going back to them? That's a pretty good message right there. He said, I lay upon him, upon his shoulders, so he shall open and no." No, none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And then one of the favorite scriptures of Pentecostal people, or at least oneness people, 
Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 19. On the heels of Simon Peter's confession of who the Lord was. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What a powerful privilege the holder of the keys has. Amen. To bind and to loose. To close and to open. Everybody said amen. Then our text for our subject tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Three simple things. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. For this, what is this? What I've just told you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. One translation said this is God's purpose for his people. Amen. And I'm talking to you tonight, try to finish up the keys to life transformation. Amen. Everybody say amen. Would you do me a favor? Help me tonight. Reach over and take somebody by the hand and let's pray in agreement right now. God, you're going to help us tonight. You're going to give unto us understanding and revelation. And you're going to open our minds and our spirits, Lord, that we might receive that engrafted word of God. That that word would be able to accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. I know that it will not return void, Lord. And I'm asking you to speak tonight. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to do a work in this congregation tonight. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And so we begin a series, and I meant what I said. I'd sat down this afternoon for a few moments, and I got my calendar out, and I went through, and I looked at every service that we have between now and Pentecost Sunday. And I realized that I don't have enough Sundays or Wednesdays to preach all that God's given me. So uh, we may have to extend that, but... For the while, for the season, and that's the word that God gave me in prayer last night. That God has brought us to a new season in our church and in our spiritual life. And this is His will. This is what He wants us to get hold of. And I believe that if we can lay hold of the keys that God is going to share with us through his word over the next few weeks, that it is going to transform our church. I am believing God that by the time the summer comes, there's going to be an explosion of the Holy Ghost that's going to rock this place. I am believing that with all of my heart. I remind you tonight, for those that were not here this morning, you probably ought to just go online and listen to it because I don't have time and they couldn't stand me going over all of that again because I was I did wear some of them out this morning amen but I remind you tonight of what a key is the word comes from the Hebrew word and it means an opener it has a further meaning when you extend it to its root and you find that it goes on to mean and amplify something that is thrown wide open or something that is loosened or let go free. 
the Greek word comes alongside and it lends another aspect of the word key. And it tells us that a key is not only an opener, but it means to shut or to shut up. So in understanding the definition of what a key is, we understand the power that is resident in what we have in our possession tonight. And I gave you that key because I want it to be something that if you're a man and you've got it in your pocket, every time you put your hand in your pocket and you feel that key, you are reminded that God is giving you the authority. He is empowering you to go through some doors and to take some things that belong to you back that may have been locked up for time and they may have been put in a place that you could not get access to. But God is going to empower you. He's going to anoint you. He's going to give you some keys that are going to help you move in to a dimension of his spirit that some of us have prayed for, but we have not found it. And we are going to move because God is going to give us revelation. What made Peter's confession so powerful was the fact that it was a revelation. It was not something that he had learned simply by reading, but it was something that his spirit had received from Almighty God. It was an understanding. And that understanding revolutionized the spiritual experience of mankind because at that point religion had degenerated to Pharisees and Sadducees and it was bound up by rituals and laws that none of them could keep. And yet they continued to lay that burden upon men and require them to obey all of these things. But when Peter stood and declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he was making testament that what God has said in the past is coming true in the present. And God is about to open a door for us to move into a new spiritual relationship with him. And those keys were so powerful and they were so mighty and they were used so skillfully to open the door to the Jew and even to open the door to the Gentiles. But Peter does not only have the power to do that, You and I have the power. Not only do we have the power, we have the authority. Amen. And I am praying that God is going to give some of you a spiritual authority. Some of you have been battling some things that have depressed you and oppressed you. And they have so beaten your mind down that you don't even believe what you have been taught. You don't even believe tonight that God can do what these young people sang about, that God can make a way. But I'm telling you tonight in the Holy Ghost, God's going to put something in your hand that's going to make that song come alive. He's going to put something in your possession that you can put in that lock and open that door and move into that spiritual freedom and that liberty that you have longed and prayed for. Amen. So a key is an opening instrument, but it's also a closing instrument. It gives you the ability to do either. You can either open or you can close. It gives you access to everything that is inside the house. I was telling the church this morning about Brother Gerald Morris's experience in Livingston. And Brother Miller came up to me after service. He has mailboxes at his place. And he told me what he tells every customer that comes and gets a mail key. Would you tell them, tell them what you told me? What, what does that key represent? Well, when they come in and rent a mailbox, they give it to them. And sometimes it's an organization. Sometimes it may be just a man and his wife. 
and they'll ask, well, you know, who can you know, come in and get this mail? And I always tell them, whoever you give that key to, they have access to that box. Whoever you give that key to, they have access to that box. So whoever you give that key to has access. Amen. You can give it to fear. You can give it to doubt. You can give it to worry. You can give it to anxiety. Or you can let it stay in the hands of Almighty God and let God direct you in how to use that properly. But you hear me tonight. He that has the key controls the house. Whoever has that key determines what comes in and what stays out. Amen. And so God's taking us to a place where we can understand afresh that there is an authority that God wants to give you to do some things in your life that you've been needing to do for a long time. And God wants to give you the power to rise up and enter in. Not just stand at the gate and look and wish, but to move in and become that person of prayer, that person of faith, that person of, of, of labor and service, whatever it is, God wants to give you the right to enter into blessings and honor and favor and help that will benefit and bless your life. God is going to bring healing and he's going to bring strength and power into this place. And as you can see, what you have in your hand in those keys is a powerful thing. Don't ever forget how powerful the keys is, what power it lends you because it gives you the authority to access whatever it is that's beyond that door. It gives you the authority. Everybody say the authority. That means I don't have to ask. That silences all the questions. Do you have a right to be here? You show them the key. That's your right to be here. You say, well, I don't believe you belong here. When you have the key, you belong, folks. And when you possess that key... There's nothing that can stop you from getting what God has for you. So the key to life transformation is what I believe God's trying to help us to understand tonight. Transformation, a complete makeover. Anybody here ever wish you could do a makeover? Now don't get too excited. I don't want any. We're not going to actually do one tonight. Maybe I should have. Maybe I should have prefaced that a little more carefully. Where's my wife at? She's usually over here giving me the eye, so I'm looking and I don't see it. Oh, there you are. Okay. Maybe I should say it like this. Is there anybody here in the house that would like a change in your life? Anybody here tonight that would like to move into more power? Would you like to move into more faith? Would you like to move into a deeper relationship with God? Something that is so powerful that you don't have to talk to him like he's a stranger. You can talk to him like he's your friend. Anybody here tonight interested in having God do something that will reposition you? And, and the word of the hour is reframe. I love that word. I fell in love with it this afternoon and yesterday when I was thinking about what God wants to do. He wants to take our life and reframe it. You don't have to throw the picture away. All you need is just a new frame around it. And the frame will bring such glory to the picture that you will not believe the end results. But God is wanting to give us a change in position. He wants to move us from simply standing at the door to being accessed 
having access to what's within the door. God wants you to do more than just come and sit on a church pew and and go through the little Pentecostal patty cake that we go through. God wants somebody in this building to rise on your two feet and get up with a mind that said, you know what, God, you either meant what you said or you're the biggest liar there is, and I don't believe you're a liar. As a matter of fact, I know you cannot lie. And so what you said about me is true. And what you said you are going to do. Amen. Amen. And so, keys. Keys will do this for you. They will bring life into balance. And they will bring a fresh perspective. And so when Paul began to close his letter to the Thessalonians, he was giving them some of the most powerful tools that would transform their life that they could ever hear. And they're so simple, and pro- yet they're profound. They're, they're so simple that when most people read, they just read so quickly because it's just two and three word sentences. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. And we move on to the next verse. And God stopped me uh, several months ago. I don't even know how long ago. And God stopped me at this verse and he started talking to me about the transformation that can happen in people's lives when they really get their hands on what I'm saying. That when you understand the power that is in these three keys or these principles, it will literally turn your life upside down. And he starts by saying rejoice evermore. Everybody say rejoice evermore. Amen. When you turn your life into that mode of praise and you are joyful in your faith, you cannot stop a person like that. And that becomes the adjuster of life that modifies and it molds your life. It's the attitude of the life. It's the frame of mind in which you approach life. And it is that that no matter what, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him in the morning. I'm going to praise him in the noontime. I'm going to praise him in the evening. With everything that is in me, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him because of his excellent greatness. I'm going to praise him because of his mighty acts. I am praising him because he is God. He is God alone and he deserves my praise. When I mix that with my faith, something always happens. Amen. And so we're going to move on to the second key. And the second key that he gave them was to pray without ceasing. Now somebody would say that that is impossible. To pray continually. To pray uh, unceasingly. Perhaps it seems impossible for the human mind to conceive of the idea that someone could pray unceasingly. Because in our mind, we think that we have to lay everything else aside. But in reality, what Paul was talking about was not just laying everything down and, and, and spending your time before the Lord on your knees. Because that would frustrate God and your life. Because God wants you to perform while you're here. He said, occupy till I come. That indicates to me God wants me to keep working until he returned. And so what Paul wanted us to think about prayer as, it was like the air that you and I breathe, that we live in an atmosphere of prayer, that it becomes the spirit of our mind. It becomes the the spiritual atmosphere in which we breathe continually, We're not on our knees all day long, but our heart is occupied with one thing, and that is the Lord of glory. And so prayer becomes the act of spiritual respiration. It becomes the atmosphere that we live in, and what a change prayer can make to your atmosphere. Amen. Because atmosphere speaks about the mood. You talk about a mood changer. Prayer 
can change your moods. Amen. Oh, you're going to have to dig deep tonight. I can tell. Some of you are just tired as I am that I'm going to preach anyway. So you help me anyway, all right? It's a mood changer. Prayer adjusts not only the mood of your life, but it, it affects the temper or the anger of your life. That when we pray, what Paul was speaking about was an atmosphere in which people live that was always mindful of God, that was always open to God, that was always leaning toward God, that was always pointed in His direction, no matter what may be going on on the earthly level, their heart was pointed toward Him. So no matter what might be going on in their physical life, their heart was in a direction. It was bent in a certain path. And he said when a man or a woman learns the key of living in that atmosphere of prayer, it will affect your mood. It will affect your anger. It will affect your temper. It will set a new disposition for your life. Now, I don't want any spouses to say amen right now, but if you think somebody in your family needs a mood change, You ought to thank God I gave you a key tonight. There is nothing that I know of that will change my disposition like getting on my knees before God and talking to Him about my life. There is nothing that will alter the things in my life any deeper than when I get on my knees and pray or when I walk through the kitchen and I pray or whether I'm driving down the freeway and suddenly my heart just cries out oh God I need you. There's something powerful about that kind of life. There's a key there that will unlock the door and set a right mood for your life. Sometimes, as a preacher, when people come to the altar for prayer, you just want to slay them right there and send them on to glory because that's as good as it's going to get for them. Because as soon as they leave the altar, prayer hasn't really affected them. They want you to pray for them, but they don't want to pray for themselves. God's talking about something you're going to have to do. Everybody say, I've got to do it. Pray, pray, pray. Prayer not only changes the mood, but it also sets the tone for your life. You know, I love, I wish I could play like Brother Clyde T and sing and do all that. But I've learned something about music, that there is, the, there is a, there's a, something called tone or pitch or key. And some people are tone deaf, aren't they? Do you sit by anybody that's tone deaf? I mean, when they sing, they're on everything but the key. Don't, I'm just picking on you. That's why I sing so loud, so I don't have to hear anybody but myself. And I'm not the best, but at least I know what key they're in. But when you pray... When you live and your heart is in a position of leaning toward him, and that's the indication of the Greek wording that Paul used, is that it's talking about the bent of the heart. It's talking about the leanings or the propensities or or, or the disposition of the heart. Not the mind, not the attitude, but the heart. Because the heart is the seat of my emotions and my affection. And that's what God wants from me. He wants my affections. He wants my heart. He wants me to feel like He's the only one. That there's none beside Him. And He wants me to live like that. And so my heart is leaning that direction. And when I lean that direction, it's amazing how he can take his hand and he can begin to tune that string to where it's 
in the right key. You know what I learned? I, I, I have a guitar. I don't play it anymore. My fingers are wore out. But you know what I learned about these things? Are these plugged up? Who, who plays this? Where are you at? That blue one. I'm pointing. Oh, okay. There. Is it plugged up? Yeah, it is plugged up. Well, I'm not going to unplug it. You know what I learned about these things? They can make beautiful music if you know what you're doing with them. But if you don't, you can hurt a few people's ears and bother your dog. <laughs> what I really found out about them is that you don't have to do anything to mess them up. If you just leave them in the atmosphere, they have their own way of getting out of tune. And there's nothing that sounds worse than somebody that's up there banging on a guitar or trying to play a bass and he's in C and they're in F sharp. There's nothing that hurts me. I want to tell you what really grinds on me. If you want to know what really irritates me, I cannot stand <clears throat> when, when the music doesn't bl- flow together and it's not, and I can feel it's like it just goes all over me. So you better make sure you tune your instruments because you don't want me going like that over there, okay? If you see me going like that, you know something's out of tune somewhere. But I learned that you don't have to do anything. Just let life take its course. And those notes are not as sharp. They're not as crisp and clear. And if you leave it long enough, they completely change keys. You can press on that same fret. Instead of B and C, it could be what goes down from there. B. You don't want to be a B, do you? When you're supposed to be a C. But you know what keeps that tuned up? Prayer. It's praying continually. The word continually indicates a bent. It indicates a leaning. In the Greek, it indicates a dependency. So that whatever is going on physically in my life, my heart is still leaning in a certain direction. And when I lean that way, it helps keep my anger in check. It helps keep my, 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 my mood a little more livable. I wish some of you would listen to me right now. Some of you, I, I wish I could give you permission to just reach over and whack somebody beside you and say, Would you please listen to that preacher tonight? Oh, Lord, I didn't know it was going to be like this tonight. Y'all might have to edit this version. But when we pray, I'm going to tell you why there's some sour moods and sour spirits around. Because some of you don't pray anymore. No, 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 no. Let me read. No, you do pray. You're the firehouse prayer. When everything's up in flames, oh, God, oh, God, oh, somebody pray with me. And then when everything's going fine, if there's an emergency, it's not hard to fill a church up. You know what's amazing? When 88 reasons the Lord was coming in 1988, Brother Daniel told me that the Sunday night before that thing was supposed to happen, they baptized people all night long, over a hundred people they baptized all night long. And I started revival the next week after that date, and there was nobody in the baptistry. Because too much of our life is controlled by our circumstances. Too much of our life is controlled by whether we're in trouble or not. Or whether we're having problems in our family. Or whether our kids are doing right. And we've not learned that if we could just get our heart bent in His direction, we don't have to be vocally talking to Him every day. But we will be bending ourselves toward Him. And when we bend ourselves toward Him, He's going to make a way. He's going to provide. He's going to take care of me. He's going to keep me. I need to use that key and get a hold of that spiritual authority that comes into my life when I pray. Amen. Amen.
So prayer becomes the atmosphere that I live in. It sets the tone and the tenor and the key and the quality of my life. And this is what I really love. It affects the sound of my life. The sound of my life. What's, you know, some lives are really noisy. And some lives are really squeaky. You know, they just... Brother Sam Miguel come by the office this afternoon. So Brother Hughes, man, I just preached like this all. And he said, I feel bad about it. I said, yeah. Because you're excited about what you're preaching. And that happens to a preacher. But you have to understand, you've got you to gotta let the word move them, not your emotions. And so you may have to tone it down a little bit. But you know what? There's some people in life, that's all they know is that level. Every, it gets on your last nerve. Every time you talk to them, it's, or it's, Up here or down here. And when I pray, it affects the sounds that come out of my voice. It affects how I communicate with people. It affects how I interrelate with people. It affects how I get along with my family. Oh, Lord, we need to have a prayer meeting right now. Get on your knees. Come on, folks. Serious. Amen. If you want to make a transformation in your family, why don't you get back to prayer continually? That doesn't mean he was not talking about the voice. He was not talking about the posture. He was not talking about the place. He was talking about the leaning. My heart is inclined. Maybe that's what the psalmist meant when he said, I will set the Lord Always before me. Always before me. Why? Because he realized that when he put God there, the enemy couldn't occupy that space. The enemy loves to get in your face and tell you about all the stuff you're not good at and remind you of all your failures and all of your weaknesses and all of your mistakes and all of your stupidity and all of your idiosyncrasies. But when you set God before you, the devil can't get past him. So he has to find another way to try to get that garbage in your mind. And I'm talking to some young people right now that you need to get God set before you because if you're not careful, you're going to listen to what the devil tells you and it will pull you away from what God has designed for your life. Amen. Prayer continually. Prayer continually. The tone, the tendencies of my life are regulated by prayer. And this is the last thing. When I looked up the word tone, or, or, or when I looked up the word atmosphere, it indicated what regulates pressure. I didn't realize that. Some of you smart folks here tonight probably knew all that. But atmosphere, there's one definition of atmosphere that has to do with regulating the pressure. And that's exactly what prayer does. It regulates the pressure so I don't blow up. So I'm not blown up. That's why you need to pray. That's why you need to live in an atmosphere of prayer. That's why you need to develop a relationship with God that's not based on crisis, but it's based on relationship. You have a relationship with him like, like a, a husband and a wife or, or your dearest friend. You talk with him not because you have to, but you talk with him because you get to. You talk with him because it's part of your life and you get something from it when you do that and so prayer is what helps regulate and adjust 
the pressures that life brings to us so that we don't lose our mind. Amen. And we don't lose our way. Last of all, pressure not only is adjusted, but when we pray, it adjusts the temperature of our life. No matter what the climate we might be in is. Aren't you glad we have air conditioning tonight? Now I can just tell you this. If these units were not on, no warmer than it's been outside today, it would have been you'd have been fanning and sweating. And you'd have been griping about it being hot instead of being too cold. But whatever. Prayer regulates the temperature so that no matter what's going on out there. In here, everything's cool. Amen. God gave them a key. He said, if you'll learn how to use this key, it doesn't matter how hot it gets out there. It'll never be too hot in here. It doesn't matter what, how cold it gets out there. It's going to be warm in here. Because prayer helps regulate. Everybody say prayer. I have set the Lord always before me. That's what we need to do. The key of prayer refers to the habit that involves the heart. You you hear me tonight. The only thing that I know of, and I have tried to think desperately over the last few days, but the only thing that I know of that will keep a person from a hard heart is prayer. The only thing that I know of that will keep a person from bitterness is prayer. There's something about prayer that when you pray, it allows God to massage that heart so that it doesn't become too brittle and it doesn't become too calloused and too cold that it can still function and work even though there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of pressures. When I pray, it is the only thing that I know that will keep my heart in the right condition and it will help me to stay yielded and pliable and tender and sensitive. It is the only thing that I know of that will keep my heart from calcifying, becoming like a stone. And you know what I know this? That if I get a hard heart, the only thing that will fix a hard heart is prayer. Amen. The only thing that will remedy that coldness in my life is when I go back to prayer. You say, Brother Hughes, I've tried that. It was too hard. I know it is. Because when you break down the calcification around the heart, the first part of it is very troublesome it's very difficult it looks like nothing is moving it looks like nothing is breaking it looks like nothing is yielding but if you just keep praying if you just keep calling on him his mighty hand can put enough pressure on that calcification that he will break it up and he will give you a heart of flesh. He will give you not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And the only thing that I know that can do that is prayer. If you're wrestling with hardness tonight, if you're wrestling with a spirit of bitterness, I'm just telling you, you've got a key that you better start using. Put that key and it'll give you access to some stuff. It'll give you access to healing of a broken heart. Amen. Somebody said amen. Amen. And so I come to the last key. He said, in everything, give thanks. I love that verse. I love the way another translation puts it. It says, no matter what. No matter what. Say that with me. No matter what. No matter, what do you mean by that? I mean no matter what. I mean if it works for your good or it doesn't seem to work for your good. No matter what. Thank God. Be thankful. Give thanks. No matter what. 
maintain a spirit of gratitude. You know the only thing that saved Joseph in his imprisonment? I believe after studying all of this and going back over his life and reviewing his life, I believe that the only thing that saved Joseph from bitterness and hatred toward his brother is that somehow, no matter what happened in his experience in Potiphar's house or in prison, he found a way to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You say, how do you know that? Because when he came to the end, when you go to the book of Genesis chapter 50, and you read what he said to his brothers in verse 22 or so, somewhere around there. He said, you meant it for evil. The word meant in the Hebrew means to weave. It's like somebody takes fabric or, or, or cotton yarn and they begin to weave it together in some kind of pattern. He said, you took my life and you took your bitterness and your hatred and your jealousy from me and you began to weave this and you meant it for evil. But God took what you meant for evil and God rewove it and made it for my good. So that I could be in a place to help save my family. Can I tell somebody here tonight in the Holy Ghost. That if you don't get hold of this key tonight. And learn how to be thankful no matter what. Your family's going to be lost. Because you're the only key that some of your family has to sanity or anything else. And if you let bitterness and hatred come into your life and you allow life to warp you and make you like life wants to make you, you're going to be the reason why they will not be able to make it. Because the only reason Joseph's family made it is because he made it. And he determined that whatever happened, I'm going to somehow learn how to thank God for whatever it is that I in no matter what whatever happens to me I'm going to be thankful I'm going to remember that it's just a season it won't last forever too many get mired in the seasons of life and self-destruct and when joy and prayer are married together their firstborn is always gratitude amen thankful When you're thankful, everything works for the good. Being grateful for everything that happens in your life. The old timers used to speak about something called preventive grace. I've heard my father-in-law pray many times and his prayer would be, Thank you for your watch care. It was an old terminology that referred to an understanding that even though you might know what God saved you out of, none of us will ever know what he saved us from. What he prevented that didn't happen, that could have happened. You say, well, I don't have anything to really be thankful for. Oh, yes, you do. There's not a person sitting on these pews that's here because of your own merit. God's put some stuff back that could have destroyed you. He put a stop sign. He put a boundary and said, you're not coming any further to that family. You're not coming any further into that life. And it was that preventive grace that allowed you to be here tonight. And if you want to sit there with a hard or bitter heart, I feel sorry for you because God has given you a key that will liberate you and it will free you. It will loosen the bands from off of your life and it will allow you to stand in his presence and lift your voice no matter what goes on around your life and it will help you to be able to say thank you thank you God thank you God I don't know what all you have kept me from today but thank you would you stand together you see prayer is a a heart 
uh, issue and 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 being thankful is an adapter issue. It helps you adapt to life and all that happens to you. A thankfulness is the only thing that I know of that will convert trouble into triumph. The only thing is a thankful spirit. The only thing that I know of that will turn tears into rejoicing is a thankful spirit. The only thing that I know of that will take what was meant for evil and allow God to reweave it for good is a thankful heart. Amen. It turns tears into rejoicing and trouble into triumph. Thankful. Thank you, Lord. Probably the hardest thing that any of us ever have to do is admit that if it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't be here tonight. You say, no, it's not hard. Oh, yes, yeah, it is. It's much harder for us to acknowledge. Because we want God to do these fantastic things. We want God, when we're driving down the highway and, and somebody comes flying out of a parking area and they don't stop and it's a, it's a dead-on collision and we say, Jesus! And God just somehow removes that, turns that car and you get by and we go on our way. We're, th- we, we, we're all hung up on that. But just to be able to get up in the morning and lift our feet up out of bed and put them on the floor, lift our hands or to look at our family and even though things may not be perfect there, look at our family and say, thank you, thank you. Thank you that I have a home. Thank you that I have a family. Thank you that I have children. Thank you that I have the ability to open my mouth and speak. Amen. In a moment of time, life can change and all that can be taken away. In a moment of time, you can lose your ability to was reminded just a couple of days ago of my own life just a few years back after a fouled up surgery come out of surgery and they tried to wake me up and I could not move and I remember the fear that came over me when they were rolling me down those corridors taking me to a place to have an MRI and the nurse was standing or, or walking beside me running whatever I don't remember how fast we were going but I remember looking up at her and saying I'm afraid and she looked back at me and she said sir I am too could not move one thing my neck down to my toes paralyzed to be able to stand here tonight and do this to be able to do that to act as crazy as I acted this morning. <laughs> I used to tell the church all the time, I'm just thankful I have moving body parts anymore. But we wake up with it every day and we still find something to gripe about. We still find something to be foul about. We still find something to complain and carp about. You say, but life could be better. I know it could be, but it could be worse. At least you're not at the cemetery tonight or you're not at the morgue or you're not at the hospital like I know some are tonight waiting to see what's going to happen after a stroke. Part of the brain damaged because of a rupture in the brain. They don't know what's going to happen in the future and it happened just like that on Friday. And here I am tonight. I don't even know what God's kept me from. I don't even have a clue what God has kept at bay. But I do know this, that when I look back over my life, I can see the hand of God in places that at that point I didn't think God knew where I was. But when I look back, 
And folks, if that's all you can do, that's enough reason to thank him tonight. Because what he has done, he still can do. And even though it may seem that nothing you do is changing your situation, if you just keep looking and remembering and just continuing to be thankful in this present moment, it's just a season. It's going to pass. It's not your life. It's not even the totality of your life. It's just a segment. And if you can somehow keep it in perspective and realize that if God could do it then, he can do it now. We often prayed for God to do it again. And I love that. I do want God to do it again. But you know what? I've come to realize over the last few years, there's so many things that God hasn't even done yet. Why do I need him to repeat? He wants to do something new. And if I can look back there and remember what he has kept me from, I want to know anybody in this building that you can lift your hand right now and say, I can think of one particular thing, just one thing, not a dozen, but one thing that God put his hand on you and saved you. And that's the reason you're here tonight. Could you lift your hand? Anybody? All right. Now, I know some of your lives right now are not perfect. And I know that it's sensitive when I even say that. You think I'm exposing. I'm not exposing you. The Holy Ghost is trying to minister to you tonight and tell you that you now have a key that will help temper all that stuff that you're going through. It will help bring a balance to your life. It will help bring a new tone, a new key. It will help bring your life into balance. It will help somehow bring into focus the things that need to be brought into focus. And if you could just take what he's done as a token that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So whatever he did, he can do it again. And just over your present situation, whatever it is, Broken down home, broken down life, broken dreams, frustrated desires, mad anger, whatever it is that you're struggling with right now, whatever you're dealing with, and you say, well, I'm not dealing with anything. Well, then just thank God that you're not dealing with anything. But if you have anything, something, tension in your family, relationships that are not where they need to be, I'm going to tell you, how to help change that atmosphere. Put the key of prayer in. Put the key of thankfulness in. And find a way when you get up and you go through your day to pause and say, thank you, Lord. Even when you're dealing with sickness, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've kept us this far. Thank you that I have what I have. But I want more. You're never going to get more until you learn how to be thankful for what you have right now. Amen. Let's lift our hands to him right now. Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost, come and minister right now in this sanctuary. Thank you, Lord. You've given me a key. You've given me an opportunity to move into a new place with you. You've given me an opportunity to access some things that have been closed. Feelings, Lord, that have prevented me from being able to respond. Feelings that have prevented me from being able to be pliable and and yielding in your hand. God, you have given me keys. You've given me an opportunity to move into a dimension of relationship with you that will change my life. Is anybody here tonight? Is there anybody in this building that wants to take take your keys and open a door? If you would, would you just get your key and bring it with you to the altar? And let's open that door. Would you do it? If it's an... If it's an attitude adjustment that you need if it's a spirit of thankfulness that you need 
If it's the spirit of prayer that you need to be revived in your life, put the key in. Put the key in. Open it. Put the key in and open it. Oh, yes, I need you, Lord. I've got to have you in my life.